Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome back to that Chelsea podcast. Another frustrating draw. I'm joined by Daniel Charles at Son of Chelsea. Daniel, how are we doing? Doing well, uh, as well as you can after a nil-nil like that. But uh, other than that, doing well, mate. Hope you are well too. Not bad myself, not bad. Right, as always, I guess I get them to give themselves a little bit of a plug. Daniel, as usual, tell people where they can find you and all your work. Son of Chelsea on YouTube, uh, regular Chelsea content, news, reviews, previews, all of that good stuff. Uh, you can also listen to it as a podcast. Just search Son of Chelsea on any big podcast provider, basically Spotify, Apple, all of that good stuff. And, and I'm on Twitter at Son of Chelsea as well. Those links will be in the description below as we've had Daniel on many times before. I'm sure you know who he is and you're already listening to his stuff, hopefully. Right. There's only one place to start, Daniel. Enzo Fernandez. He arrived. That was nice. I think last time we, we were on, it was literally the start of January. And, you know, there were talks of Enzo Fernandez. We thought it was seemingly imminent. That went away. But he has arrived. It was, you know, a long, a long process. Uh, I think it was one that a transfer that probably captured our imagina- imaginations more than we'd have liked it to. Uh, but just but your thoughts, feelings on, on game that Enzo Fernandez deal over the line. Yeah, very exciting uh, and kind of weird how it seems to be close or like advancing and then goes completely dead and then comes back again. I mean, you don't usually see that in transfers. It kind of it either happens or it doesn't, um, particularly in the case of one window. But yeah, I'm, I'm really happy about it. I, I think like a lot of Chelsea fans, um, it's just been so overdue for so long. Chelsea properly investing in central midfield. I think we've been talking about it for so long. And it's time I've been on your podcast. I think we've been talking about it. So great to have it over the line. I wasn't that squeamish about spending that number on a, on a midfielder because Chelsea have wasted so much on other areas. I, I think it's it's due that we needed to sign a, a new midfielder. And it's great to see him already in the starting eleven, and, you know, getting embedded into Chelsea. So all round, hopefully it turns out to be a brilliant deal for Chelsea. Um, just listening and talking to people who have watched him. Uh, I spoke to a Benfica fan yesterday who was just purring around him, basically saying, like, I just... I, just a wonderful player and then actually getting to see him in the flesh as I'm sure we'll get to in regards to the Fulham game was exciting too. Yeah, yeah, indeed. Chelsea full first midfield signing since, you know, Mateo Kovacic. So it's been, it has been a long, long time coming. Obviously with that one incoming, there was one outgoing. It's perhaps a surprise just given it sort of just seemingly came out of nowhere. Daniel Jorginho, before I get your thoughts on it, I've got a feeling that aside from from the J55 on Twitter, I'm probably one of the few that actually was not a fan of, of this transfer happening. I completely mm. understand the 12 million we're getting from him is better than nothing we'll get in the summer. Um, my thoughts on it are just that it kind of potentially 
weakened whatever we wanted to do for the rest of this season, given uh, issues we've got in midfield. 12 million in, in modern day football is pretty much nothing. Anyway, I'd probably rather have seen him go on a free in the summer rather than, you know, potentially aid one of our rivals in winning a Premier League title as well. Um, so it's just a bit of mixed feelings. And I think obviously once we go into a game there, we can even see that, you know, missing missing some, someone like him in, in that game yesterday was was fairly evident. Um, what are your kind of thoughts, feelings on on him going and then just looking back at his Chelsea career as a whole? Yeah, it was weird that for a player who has caused so much conversation and actually done so much at Chelsea for it to end all so abruptly. Um, that was kind of the bizarre thing around it. And he only got like a, a photo up on the screen at Stanford Bridge yesterday. And then that, that was it, you know. And if he would have stayed for another few months, I'm sure he would have got a better farewell by the Stanford Bridge crowd at the end of this season. I, I still think it was the right move. Uh, I, I think that Chelsea... There is, whether it matters or not, whether it's just me talking nonsense, I, I do think there is something quite symbolic about selling him on the same day you sign another new midfielder. I think it says something about what the new ownership is trying to do, is that they are going to be more ruthless with selling players. They are going to try and attract value. If you're not staying here for the long term, we're not going to let your contract run down and down. And unfortunately, the midfield contract situation, like the centre-back contract situation, is something that this new ownership has walked into. Um, and I think it's a signal that they will try and get value from players. And, and when you've got 12 million right in front of you for a player that has only got a few months left, probably shouldn't be here beyond this season. I think it made a lot of financial sense. I, I agree with you that, sure, in midfield, we've had a lot of injury problems. And I think it showed last night, right, in terms of the the, the options and even some players who've been under underperforming who probably shouldn't have started, you still have to kind of start them based on the options that you have at your disposal. But I think hopefully that will improve as as we go forward and some of those players return from injury and we've got a player like Andre Santos hopefully getting involved too. So I, I think it made sense and I, and I think it was the right time to depart. But it was just, I think I would have preferred a little bit more notice, to be honest, uh, rather than just a few hours. And then we obviously on deadline day, we were as consumed by the Enzo Fernandez chat. So Jorginho's exit, although I spoke about that on my podcast, uh, in in some ways very quickly got brushed to the side, which which is a bit of a shame. Yeah, yeah, indeed. Jorginho as a person, I think he's probably, I'm trying to find the words to describe it. It's been an interesting Chelsea, I don't think any player has probably divided people as much as he had. I don't think any person has perhaps also maybe made people change their opinion on him as quickly as he did, and then also potentially revert back to their previous opinion on him. Four and a half years at Chelsea, he won it all in terms of European wise. I guess was a sort of a, you know one of those symbols of we associate with that Champions League run, his monumental performances alongside Ingolo Kante. Jorginho, whatever people think of him, whatever his limitations, then that is the right time to move on. No doubt a Chelsea success story, which, you know, we may not have thought when, you know, his first, after his first season of the club. Yeah, I do think in general it is more positive than negative. Um, you know, thinking back to his first season, you know, being sarcastically cheered when he was being subbed off against Wolves. I was there that day and I, I just felt sorry for the bloke and I thought, is this going to last that long? Yeah, particularly when Sarri departed at the end of that season. But he's had to show a lot of resilience and he's had to show a lot of resilience in his career even before he joined Chelsea. And I think when you wipe away the, the social media noise around him, which I think is actually quite irrelevant, and you just look at the player, his, his individual story as a player, 
it's actually quite inspiring if, if you go and read up you know him moving from Brazil to Italy at a young age I think struggling financially and kind of one of these players who was sold a dream and then having to recover from that but still making it as a footballer and then making it to Chelsea I still think one of the best moments of his Chelsea career is actually after he signed when his mum got taken into the megastore and saw her son's name on, a, on the back of a shirt hung up there in the megastore and how emotional that was for her and, and it just shows you the the grounded nature of, of football transfers that I think a lot of us maybe dismiss when we're talking about them. And I, I, you always got the sense he was a good professional. You always got the sense that this was a player that was liked in and around the club. And, you know, he did have good performances with Chelsea, some very good performances with Chelsea. And, and I, I don't think anyone should ever make the case that he never did. I think that unfortunately as bringing back into social media, the extremes of Jorginho. He's kind of come to define this new way of looking at players where you have to have an extreme opinion about them, which is just not true. I think there is a nuance with Jorginho. I think that in reflection, I think he'll be looked upon as at times a very valuable member of the, the dressing room. At times, someone that came to encapsulate frustrations with the midfield, but I think in most part, as with the majority of Chelsea players in my life supporting the club, I wish them well. And I'm, you know, I look back at the memories with a lot of fondness because he was involved more than anything else in an incredible night in, in Porto. And that obviously will never be taken away. Yeah, yeah, indeed. Thank you and good luck, Jorginho. Just not at Arsenal. Um, yeah, that would be that would be a bit of a sickness seeing him lift a Premier League title with Arsenal. But it is what is inside of our control now. And we just wish him well and thank him. For his service and a and a top player, and he, you know, he said, you know, once proved doubters wrong, and I think he he certainly managed to prove a fair few few doubters wrong. And we wish him well. Obviously, on the last podcast, I said I would be back, but next time we'd back, there'd be more signings to be made, and there were obviously Enzo Fernandez, and there was uh, Mal uh, Gusto signs well. Daniel during the transfer window comes to an end. It was pretty unprecedented what happened this January transfer window. That was kind of the spending you'd expect to see in a summer transfer window. Todd Bowley and you know all those sort of this stereotype section. You can't do business in January. You know it's always harder. We kind of just shattered all those all those opinions. Really, when you look at it, what you're kind of just force feelings now looking back at about January transfer business because you know a, a statement a statement was made and you know crucially we did get that that player but we were needing that midfielder. In it was a bit like the summer, but I think in reflection this one makes a lot more sense and I think there's there's clearly a plan in terms of the profile of player we're targeting some of the key areas of the squad actually being addressed whether that be right back cover in Malo Gusto coming in the summer, central midfield Enzo Fernandez uh, a left centre-back in Benoit Badiashile, who started his Chelsea career brilliantly so far. And, and for, for the fee we actually paid for him, looks it could be like a real steal in the transfer market, to be honest, which Chelsea don't have a lot of outside of Edouard Mendy in recent seasons. Um, David Dacher-Fafana, I think, could be a really, really high-value signing in coming years. Uh, even again, you know, I think you've got to give some credit, hopefully, to the new recruitment team pushing for that player. Uh, Andre Santos, hopefully, will be in a similar category. And then uh, Nori Manawake and Mikhailo Mudrik, you know, you're looking at two players here who hopefully will sort of redefine and reshape the the wide attack of Chelsea. Uh, so all round, I, you know, at times it was chaotic and at times the 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 way the deals played out, uh, you know, you were kind of thinking of Chelsea actually going to go through another window. For me, it was always right back cover and central midfield. And ironically, those were the final two deals Chelsea did in this window. Um, but I think in, in total, in terms of the players, in terms of the strategy that's clearly being implemented, I think there is there's a lot more method behind the madness. Even if the strategy, you know, you could say that, you know, do we sign Madawake and, and Mudrik if Raheem Sterling and Christian Pulisic 
don't go down injured against Man City at the start of the month. I mean, that's that in itself is a massive question, and I'm probably not right. I think if those two players stay fit, and that's going to be interesting now with those players returning from from injury, how how they do. But all round, I, I, I'm mostly encouraged by it, and I think that it's uh, whether you call it a rebuild or not, it, it's it's it was something that I think the new ownership saw that they needed to do a lot more work, and they needed to bring the age down of this squad dramatically. And the players were there. They could get the deals done, get them in for six months, hopefully, which for those players, it's not exactly a free hit, but I think for a lot of those players to kind of embed into Chelsea and then go again in the summer, where hopefully you'll have a more um, leaner squad, hopefully with players being sold that are no longer sort of useful to the club will, will be interesting. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, with those new signings, there do... Some you know interesting decisions have to be made about his registering players for the Champions League squad. Enzo Fernandez, Ricardo Madrid, and Jao Felix ones registered. Benoit Badiashile misses out on then obviously Pierre Aubameyang was was deregistered as well. I mean, it was going to be a brutal choice for Graham Potter. Whatever happened, I don't think you know whatever way got whatever decision got made, it could be spun that it was you know making the wrong decision. Etc. When we we'll get on to Benoit Badiashile later, he you know it does feel very unfortunate that he does miss out, mm. uh, given how well he's been and how ch- transformed Chelsea's defenses are. But it did almost seem you know for me I was like it did almost seem a no brainer to pick the names you did. Enzo Fernandez was obviously going to be there. I think Mudrik was probably going to be there, and then it was maybe a question of, of Felix or Badiashile. But then Felix um, with Felix being on loan, but then I guess also if Chelsea do want to sign Felix in the summer, it makes a statement to him. You know, we do really want you. That's why you're in our Champions League squad. Mm. Just for would you have done anything different to Grand Potty? Do you know, would you have maybe included Badi Shile given the fact that Kudabali has struggled this season, Wesley Fafana is injured, the centre back depth, if one of him or, you know, if, if anything happens to Thiago Silva, Chelsea's hopes in the Champions League, it does feel essentially almost over. Would you have done any diff- anything different event just for so on obviously the Abamyang mission? It's just a very awkward situation. I think that, that that's the truth of it. I think that you were going to upset some people and, and players, obviously, no matter what you did. I mean, it hasn't kind of been reported as much. Everyone talks about Bamiyang, and I understand why, because it's a bigger name. But I think Madawake and David Dachofavana are also not in that squad. Um, they haven't been selected for Champions League football as well. So, you know, it's not just... I think it's being framed by Bamiyang's camp that he's being singled out by Chelsea. Um but there are other players like Badia Shile as well who are not being selected and, and are going to be involved in Premier League action. I just think it's a difficult call, to be honest, for, for the club and Potter to make. Um, and it's just something you've got to bite the bullet, right? And on the Aubameyang thing, right? I, I, again, I think it's double standards and it's double think by some people who have been criticising Graham Potter in, in recent weeks. And maybe people aren't like this, but I, I've already seen some people having a go about that decision about Aubameyang. And... Only a few weeks ago, I was hearing that Graham Potter, not ruthless enough as a Chelsea head coach, doesn't insert himself enough, doesn't have authority over this squad. Look at Mikel Arteta, look at Eric Ten Hag, what they're doing with their squad, the Ronaldo situation. I don't think Potter is doing it as publicly in a ruthless way. Like he isn't coming out and being a megalomaniac about it. But surely with the way he's treated Aubameyang in terms of selection in recent weeks, he's starting to show and make it abundantly clear you are not part of my plans. And and again, it's like, I think it's people, you know, wanting to go several ways and wanting to take several positions at the same time in order to spite Potter. Like, either he's ruthless or he's not. Like, and, and I think this is a case of him selecting players who he maybe feels just better suit him. But there is also a reality that 
you know, you could flip that on its head and go, well, he hasn't picked Fafana, the younger striker in that situation, right? So, so I, I just think the 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 most reasonable way I come towards the situation is is just difficult, you know, and um, we'll see how it plays out uh, because I, I think that there's a few of us who have been looking at the the new signings and thinking the Champions League could be the one area where Chelsea gets some real joy this season, uh, at least for the rest of it. And, and attention turns to that, right? And we can get some decent nights. You know, Mudrik, Fernandez, and uh, Joao Felix, um, unless I'm wrong, I think the three most expensive signings of the January window and also three players that played in the Champions League group stage and have good Champions League experience at relative level. So I think that that obviously influences it as well. Yeah, yeah. Indeed, indeed. Right, let's actually talk about, about the football. We don't need to spend too long with Daniel Fulham nil nil. Ugh. I it, when I'm when I'm looking at that game, I'm like, yeah, it was okay. I don't know what people were necessarily expecting from that, you know, just dropping in some more new players and expecting it to work against a side that has actually had a, a, a strong season. I felt that, you know, on another day we walk out of that with a win, given the chances we did create. I know people are going to go, Arsenal nil, we struggled to score goals, etc. struggled to create chances, but you actually look at it. There were, you know, some pretty big chances we missed in that game. Havertz obviously uh, lobs for keeper hits for post. There's also a mount ball that I think gets a bit of a deflection on its way to Havertz for he skies over. And that's for most noticeable one, David Datra for Fana rounding the goalkeeper and just, you know, getting his feet a bit mixed up and not quite having the composure to score. Because when we look at it, and I guess this is the fine margins of it. Kind of just going off social media last night, it was quite negative, quite a feeling like, oh, where are we going? But if Fafana scores that goal, Chelsea are sick from the Premier League table. They've got seven points from their last three games, if that goes in. And essentially, I guess in this bit, we've just got to try and find sort of a middle ground because it's, mm. you know, nowhere near as bad or, and it also wouldn't have necessarily been anywhere near as good had Fafana scored. But what were your just thoughts, feelings on being there and obviously seeing Enzo Fernandez debut in that Chelsea performance last night? Yeah, I'm not as negative as as everyone else, but I think that was to be expected, right? I think there was a lot of optimism around last night. Um, I think the narrative going into the game was almost forgetting there was an opponent against Chelsea last night and a pretty decent one based on their performances this season. And I think you saw it with Fulham. They came to sort of spoil. They came to be aggressive, um, physical team, tried to disrupt Chelsea. I think were very well set up by Marco Silva. And, you know, I can already hear the shouts of people saying, but it's Fulham. But, you know, it, Fulham are, are a different, they're, they're a very different Fulham to the team we faced, you know, in, in most of my life in the Premier League. You know, they've, they've got some very decent players now and they're, they're well coached. And you're coming up against it from a Chelsea perspective, you're adding new players into that as well. You're adding players like Reese James, who were only just returned from injury. So I I do get a sense that people you know, we've spent all this money and there's no improvement. And I just think it's just farcical to expect all of that to click in one night. I, I never went, even though I was excited and I said this on Twitter, I was excited about the lineup. Absolutely. was just seeing those names on the lineup. I never expected more than a one nil win yesterday. Like I just, I just didn't like, I, I thought that it was going to be a tight game. It's going to be a close game. And when you actually look at those chances that you've listed, you know, that, that could have been a two or three nil win for Chelsea. Um, based on what we created. And I and I think looking at the positives, I think structurally from a defensive point of view, the team looks a lot more solid, um, particularly since Benoit Balishile has come back into the team, uh, sorry, has come into the team and, and three games, three clean sheets for him. I thought he was my man in the match last night. He's just dominant from a Chelsea point of view and, and is really, and it's not just that, I think his composure on the ball too seems to to pick up some good passes and, and has a good vision, which is is good for a team. And uh, I think it's very quickly adapted to the 
the physicality and pace and, and what's required of him as a defender, something that Khalidou Koulibaly has not simply this season. And, and particularly when you think about what we've missed this season on the left side of our defence since we lost Antonio Rudiger, Badi Gile is not the same player. Um, but just having a bit of balance with Thiago Silva's excellence, I think is very important for Chelsea's defence. So, and in the case of Enzo Fernandez, I thought he was really, really good in the first half. Like the ball sticks to his feet. And he played two cutting passes for me. There was the one, the, the most important one, I guess, that could have won the game for Chelsea and probably should have was the one over the top to Mason Mount that then he, he puts the ball across for, for Kai Havertz. Kai Havertz should be finishing that. And then there was another one towards um, Hakim Ziyech. Um, and Ziyech, I think, took it with his right foot and obviously doesn't have a right foot. So it just completely goes wide. Um, and I just, I liked watching Enzo. And obviously he could have scored a screamer in the second half. Like I, I like seeing that a player of, uh, you know, seeing someone that deep wearing a number five, taking a shot from distance and not going too far away is, is new for Chelsea fans to see in recent years. So listen, I, I know that there are some people who have who not only have given up on this season, but have already come to the conclusion that Graham Potter is not the right Chelsea coach. And, you know, it's, it's trotting up the same things that I've heard since November at this point. Um, and I, you know, unless Graham Potter wins every single game for the rest of the season and Chelsea win games three or four nil and, and, and speaks like a megalomaniac and an egotistical um, version of say Jose Mourinho reincarnated in press conferences. I mean, there are some people who just aren't going to be happy. Right. And, and I, I think you've got to accept that. But there also is a, is, a, is a reality that you're bringing in a lot of new players. Like Nordi Madawake, I think, also looked bright. Um, it was a shame that Mikhail Mujic was a bit under the weather and that kind of explains his downbeat performance because I was expecting a bit more from him last night. So with Joao Felix coming back next week, uh, with more players returning from injury, Ben Chirwell's now back, Reese James is now back, is going to be gaining that match fitness. You know, to to make an assessment of just one night, it just is is farcical. I understand why people are frustrated because it's not the first game of the season. Um, it's I've lost count, but it feels it's already been a very long season in in, in from a Chelsea. We're over halfway now, just that, and Chelsea need to start picking up points. And, and I think that maybe we'll get to some listener questions who kind of asked this, but you want to see some improvement, but I, I don't think it was so horrendously abject without any vision at all. I think I'm not going to sit here and tell you it was an energetic performance and it was a free flowing performance, but I don't think it was ever going to be. But I also think there were moments that gave you encouragement that some of our new players are going to improve the team and given more time and given a bit of patience, I think that the team hopefully will start to gel. So now, compared to what it was, say, against Nottingham Forest and City at the start of this month, and, and particularly if you compare it and contrast it to what we had before the World Cup, I, I don't think last night's performance comes anywhere close to how depressing it was against, say, Newcastle and Arsenal before uh, the World Cup break. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, that goalless draw last night, man, that Chelsea's 22 goals is the lowest total after 21, is their lowest total after 21 games the Premier League season since 1995-96. And that draw last night means to have given Chelsea just a 2.97% chance of finishing this season in the top four and qualifying for the Champions League. Yeah, I don't think that's necessarily a huge price to everyone else. And Graham Potter, with those obviously new signings, has now made 64 changes to Chelsea's starting eleven in his 15 Premier League games in charge of the second most in the manager's first 15 games in charge of club in Premier League history, behind only Thomas Tuchel, who made 66. Obviously, Rhys James returned last night, got 59 minutes. I think the most just more important thing was he just did not go off injured. That was just a sort of collective sigh of relief. Going off the 59th minute, knowing that he got through the game. I Chelsea think he, he got like a round of applause because yeah. he didn't go off injured. Like everyone <laughs> was so relieved. Like you're just, you're walking off, mate, and you're fine. Like, yeah, it's, uh, can I just say quickly on Reese? I, I think that I've seen a lot of debate around 
oh, should we be playing him in this game? And I was a little bit like that, right? I had Chalabra in my predicted 11. But I guess you get to the point where, when do you bring him back in? Like, it's all right to say, oh, don't bring him back in for Fulham. But then surely the same question applies to West Ham. And then surely the same question applies to Borussia Dortmund. You know, at some point, you have to put these players back in because we can't just not play. It's like the N'Golo Kante problem, right? You, you, Players aren't valuable if you can never play them. So you need, we needed to get him back on the pitch and touch wood, seem to go fine and hopefully he can play uh, longer next week and keep building up those minutes. Yeah, exactly. And given the Champions League is Chelsea's only source of real hope this season, we'd want her sort of get Reese a bit more ready for, for that game and say Chelsea's win rate without Reese James this season is 17%. So it is crucial we kind of manage him and get him on that football pitch. <clears throat> doing, doing well. As I said, yeah, we don't need to spend too long on that game. Say there was some positive, as I said, Madueke, encouraging. Um, you know, Vadi Shile, pretty excellent. Again, Silver, just the standard. Obviously, again, I think, you know, the fullbacks, you know, struggled a little bit. I think, I mean, Reese got burnt by Robinson once, but then the ball was out of play. And I think Kukurilla was was just a bit, just a bit, yeah, kind of just almost just how he's been this season. Obviously, I think that we did see there were issues in midfield. Enzo at times was sort of blowing out his arse a bit. And there was, you know, Mount and Gallagher getting into some interesting positions again. Mount, I think, again, don't need to go into it. Struggled like he has for quite a lot of, you know, recent games. Did create that chance for habits. Gallagher just please learn how to put a, a corner in and we'll get into the set pieces a bit later. Havertz had some moments, uh, but didn't put them away. Ziyech had one really nice moment with that with that cross pretty quiet since. Mudrick, yeah, just didn't give a ball, was under weather. It's fine. Right, let's get into listener questions. First question is from Jonathan Kidd from the Chelsea Fancast. Just remind for people you can listen to that on a Monday, 7.30, and also check out his fan bites on Twitter. But this is actually quite nice. What positives, Daniel, do we see from this game? Because we can get into the negatives, but positives. I mean, I guess we'd say Badiashile. That's another clean sheet. And just on sort of Benoit Badiashile and sort of, you know, the impact on that Chelsea team, we've now kept eight clean sheets this season in the Premier League, which is at the time of recording the current joint third best, along with uh, Manchester United mm. and Manchester City, and only behind Newcastle with 12, and Arsenal with nine. Um, obviously, we under Graham Potter, we've conceded 12 in 15 games compared to nine in six at the start of the season. Uh, so maybe there's a little bit of improvement there. But, I mean, aside from, you know, the defence and another clean sheet, a third sort of clean sheet in a row, what, what other positive or was that sort of just your main positive from last night? Yeah, I think it, it it's for me starting to build the the new structure of this team and trying to implement those those players. I think that you know Enzo Fernandez, you know, to throw him in with barely any training with the first team is it is a risk in itself. But you know, you see the quality of the player; he settled quite quickly and and was up for the challenge as you probably expect. Balio uh, Shile, yeah, it's I'm just I'm very impressed. You know, watching him on his debut against uh, Crystal Palace. You know, I think that was another game where he learned a lot and I think he settled very quickly. And this is a guy, and I think he he's showing proof that, again, the transition from the French league to, to England is actually a little bit more smooth than some other leagues. Um, I just think that physicality, he seems to have adapted well. And I think on the ball, there's a there's a crispness to his past that I think is going to be really interesting, particularly when you get Ben Chirwell back onto that left side. Uh, and see the way those two could link up. And and I just, again, like he's aerially dominant. Uh, again, Mitrovic had nothing to do all night. Like Mitrovic, the, the most Mitrovic did was was try and rile up Chelsea players like or commit fouls. Like that's all he could do all night. And this is a guy who's had a pretty good season. 
So I think you've got to give the defence some credit for that. You know, I think Silva and Badi Ishile forming a very good connection very quickly is is a positive in itself. Um, I think that seeing Fafana come off the bench was was exciting. I want to see a bit more of him. I'd like to see him start next week, to be honest, because, you know, I just think there are a few players, current current ones or ones that were here from the start of the season, that I just think need time out of the, the team. I, I just think they, you know, we, I want to see more of these new players and you... You know, I think Potter has to be daring. Like he's, I think he has a bit of a freedom with, with being able to really change the look and face of this Chelsea team and experiment a bit. And that's not meaning that he makes 11 changes every week, but that's, I think, starting to bring in some of those players that you see as part of the future of, of this club. And, and I think that Fafana is absolutely one of them. You know, I, I know that people will get annoyed about the, the chance he missed, but I actually think it was compared to, say, Havertz, who you know, sometimes looks like a striker, sometimes doesn't doesn't make those natural runs. Favana was making those natural runs and, and that it was a very natural striker run. And it was a good ball over the top, I think by Gallagher. Yeah. And um, he, I think Favana actually done quite well to get himself into that position in the first place because it wasn't a simple, you round a goalkeeper and you take one. The fact that he probably could have taken a shot first time and it probably would have been blocked. He was able to get himself into another position to, to shoot. And it was just a brilliant block in the end, I think. You know, he could have lifted it. He could have squared it to Kai Havertz. Uh, but for a player who is still very young, um, to be thrown into that situation with a demanding crowd, I think was a positive. And to have Joao Felix back next week, like no one at the moment is is overly infused and, and delighted about Chelsea. I think there's a myth going around that people who are supportive of Potter and kind of this regime are jumping you know up and down and thinking that all of this is so wonderful and perfect like no one is arguing that everyone gets frustrated by no no try you know it's again these straw man arguments that just make me roll my eyes like um but there are positives to take and i think you have to take them this season right like you have to you have to look at that and and it's gonna be a it's gonna take time i was just i was almost gonna say a process but i know people don't like that word but it is it is gonna take time to expect to to bring in players particularly younger ones and expect them all to gel snap of your fingers it ain't gonna happen and um to build that over a period of time it is gonna take time on a training pitch i would say a positive for me as well is with no fa cup or, or league cup for the rest of the season and with only the champions league hopefully potter has a few more free midweeks um and the, the fixture schedule is a little bit less congested so he will have more time on the training pitch to to work on things with these players you know i like the fact we've got another week or so free midweek to to plan for that west ham game um and you know i think that if you know racking up some wins hopefully we can we can get into a an all right position i i, I do think it's unlikely we get champions league football but um to say there is no positives whatsoever i think would just be we'd be flipping and i don't think reflects the the situation yeah exactly i say defense you know the two center backs Right, I said free clean sheets in a row. Nice Kepa didn't have to do much, but when he did, it was reliable. Brees Chambers just getting through a game and easing him back it is is a positive for me. Enzo Fernandez looks solid out there. I said maybe he got a bit tired towards the end, but you know, some some nice passes. Uh he looked encouraging. And said Madueke was really encouraging. Yes, he had to, you know, go deep to get a ball, but he was, you know, trying to make things happen. He was lively. That was that wasn't that was a positive. There were obviously, you know, frustration things, of course. Um, but yeah. Next question from Dan Hill. 600 million spent and we still can't score any goals. Your thought on what is the solution? Dan, before I kind of get into this, I'm going to break down that because the 600 million spent and we still can't score any goals. 
not all of that 600 million was spent or on players to score goals. Um, yeah, 30 million of that was on Kudabali, who's sitting on our bench right now. 30 million was that on Gusto, who's on loan and will play next season for us. 80 million is on Fafana, uh, who is injured uh, and has barely played a game of football this season. 50 or 60 million of that is on Kukurella, who has you know been okay this season but is again a defender. 120 million of that is on Enzo, who's literally just made his first game, played his first game. Uh, can't expect necessarily too much there. Uh, what well, 88 million is on Mudrick, who's played a grand total of about 80 minutes in two games and had a cold in the second one. And again, what was it? 30 on million of that is on Madueke, uh, who made his debut. Like, I get it. I'm not going to, you know, go into that narrative yet because one, one is just also not really fair at all. And also, these players literally just played their first games. Mm. The thoughts on it and the solution, obviously, is interesting because Chelsea over their last four games have accumulated an XG of 7.15 and they've only scored two goals. And as that we mentioned in this game, as I mentioned in this game, that I did list some big chances that Chelsea missed. And Graham Potter is not responsible for the players putting the ball into the net. Like, he can't he can't control that. He can't control what they're doing. It is obviously frustrating and it's obviously a thing that's gone on. What I will say, and this is... The solution, the solution, people, is not to bring back Jose Mourinho, like all of you were saying on Twitter last night, Jose Mourinho 3.0. The idea of Jose Mourinho, I'm not saying you were saying this down at all, by the way, but the idea that Jose Mourinho in 2023 is the solution at a big club is baffling. The fact that in 2023, Jose Mourinho is the answer to a project is also baffling when there's literally no prior evidence of him, you know, taking undergoing a project. And the last time he was at a club, at this club, where there were some talented youngsters, both talented youngsters ended up going elsewhere and also doing all right for ourselves and also haunting us. So I'm going to leave a Jose Mourinho discourse there. We love him. Thankful for having the greatest ever manager. But Jose Mourinho in 2023 is a big no-no and I would not go near could him. I just, could I just say on Jose quickly? Um, yeah. And I don't know, you can clip this up and put it on Twitter if you want. I I cannot, like, listen, Jose Mourinho is for me and I think it's been a bit of a shame over the last five, six years because of Spurs, because of Man United and because of the way it ended at Chelsea. People have tried to downplay what he did at Chelsea. And I think that's a bit of a shame because he is clearly the greatest Chelsea manager of all time. And he is a he is a pedestal that I think is going to be very difficult for anyone to rival again in terms of, for me personally as a fan, you know, what he did with that over a five team, helping to create the greatest Chelsea team of all time. You've got the greatest Chelsea head coach and the greatest Chelsea team of all time in 0405, or you can go 05 to 07, you know, that kind of golden team that we had for a period. But... I just find it utterly baffling people trying to think they're ahead of the, the the curve and coming up with visionary answers. And all they can come up with is going back to 2005. Like that is the revolutionary idea that Chelsea need right now. Um, and these are the same people who will turn around and talk to you about, well, look at what Arteta's doing at Arsenal. Look at what Pep's done at City. Look at what Klopp has done at Liverpool. Um, without understanding that bringing up a lot of those examples of long-term coaches who have been at a place for a while, it, it undermines your point because Jose, as much as I love him, was never that coach. And he never has been, If you, as you just pointed out, if you look at his track record. And it is the worst of nostalgia. Like it is what has kind of hurt Star Wars in recent years, just continually going back to the well on the same thing over and over again, because you've got no new fresh ideas whatsoever. It is what Man United, I think, have been doing for so long. I think it was what Liverpool were doing for so long of just harking back to the past because there's no new way of moving forward. Like that, it, it's just so lazy. 
I, uh, you, of all the coaches you could bring up to me, you're bringing up someone who left us in 2015, which sadly is quite a while ago now. And he's over in Roma. It's near the end of his career. Uh, he's still doing some good things. He can clearly still get a tune out of some really good strikers. One that I think Chelsea should be buying in the summer. But, you know, all those all those things doesn't make him suitable for a Chelsea head coach uh, because the, the evidence is there. And it just it's just bizarre to me. I can only assume some people are just doing it for a joke. But if you're generally being serious, like I just, I don't know how to confront an argument other than just going like, is it really got that bad? Like, and it's not to say that Jose is an awful, awful manager, the worst one you could get. But surely at some point, people have got to come up with better solutions than just the past constantly. And this is this, I think this relates to the Graham Potter criticism of him in press conferences. Like, People want Potter to just do a load of catchphrases. And and that's for me why so much of the criticism at times for me just rings so hollow and it's, it sounds so shallow. It, it doesn't, it, you know, it, it's, it's, it's all about people feeling good about where Chelsea are and, and wanting to hear the old hits. Like you can go and get the 0405 DVD and watch it again. Like the, those goals are still like, I like watching Frank Lampard around Yuri Askeladdin as much as anyone else. But, you know, it's 2023. We've got to be moving forward. And, I, and Jose Mourinho, Antonio Conte, all of these coaches, they're in the past now. And we've got to think forward. At least that's the way I, I think that if you're a new ownership and this is the d- direction you've decided to commit to, those are the antithesis of the coaches you, you should be profiling to bring into this club and this environment right now. Yeah. And also just repeat, these signings, all this money, you know, a lot of this money we spent, are on players which are basically the antithesis of the players Jose Mourinho would want to work with if he came in. So so enjoy another 500 or whatever mills spend on some senior older players who we then need to replace with, oh, maybe some younger players. But, mate, those yeah. younger players are not here because, wait, they needed to go and play football and Jose didn't want them. And he just kind of goes full circle. Really got a detour on Dan's question. Your thoughts and the solution on the fact we can't score any goals. Daniel, it's also simply a matter of time that we now just need to just wait and Potter just needs time to actually get those players on the pitch. Because this, you know, now is his time to actually, because of all the money spent, Grand Potter has actually barely been able to get all these players on the pitch for a variety of reasons, i.e. they've just arrived or they've had injury issues. And that man, that amount of spent money spent, while true is accurate, he's not had the opportunity to actually play those players. So is it a case mainly of just wait and see? As I said, already at the back, it seems like we're building some, you know, some partnerships that Tiago Silva, Badishide partnerships, nice. Obviously, Reese James and Ben Chilwell potentially as fullbacks, or with Kukurado's fullback is nice. Kepper and that's solid. We've got Enzo in there now. Obviously, the midfield is probably going to be an issue for the rest of the season, just given with the events to use there. But is it now just a case of just let's just see? We've just got to actually be patient and just let him put players on the pitch before before we try and come up with some magic solution. Because, say, these new signings have played one or two games max. Like, you, we can't really say this is a magic solution when we've not actually seen what they're really capable of yet. Yeah, absolutely. That That is part of it. I also think part of it is just having conversations about some of the players that have been here for a little while now and, and trying to gauge whether they're going to ever be good enough or what their position is. And obviously, I'm referring to Kai Havertz there. Um, I, I'm trying not to be too reactionary because I, I, I did say after the Crystal Palace game that Havertz is just a bit of a weird player to me because... I've at times for his Chelsea career, it's trying to balance everything where I look at him and I go, he's still a youngish player. Um, so there still are years of development ahead of him. I think you've got to lend some things to the chaos that has happened at Chelsea whilst he's been here. And at times coaches playing him in different roles and, and is the role we're playing him in his best role. 
and that could lend some. But then also I, I, I factor in the player's own performances. So, but, but I did say this last summer, I had serious concerns about Kai Havertz as a player and it was a concern I had about another player the summer before. And unfortunately my, my fears were proven kind of drastically right. And, and my, I wouldn't say I've been proven. I, I never want to be proven right about not rating a Chelsea player or, or not thinking they're going to be good enough. I want to be proven wrong about Chelsea players, you know, doing well and succeeding for us all the time, if I can be. But I think there needs to be a serious conversation about Kai Havertz in the summer of how much more time you're committing to him. Particularly, let's say, if Joel Felix is a really strong into the season and in Chelsea, as we're hearing, feel confident they could get a permanent deal for that player. Because then you're bringing in another player of a similar kind of ilk to Kai Havertz. You could feel kind of a floating kind of role. You've got Christopher Nkunku arriving in the summer. Another player is a little bit versatile who can play as a centre-forward, but can also play off a centre-forward too. And I don't think you want too many of those players in a squad, if I'm being honest. Like, I think that, and it's how much longer do we go persisting with Kai Havertz? Um, that, that, that's my big question. I think for me, the challenge to Kai Havertz is to, if he can score 10 goals from now until the end of the season, then I think that'd be a success. And obviously with the play, new players around him, when you've got an Enzo Fernandez who can potentially play more direct passes, when you've got a Joao Felix potentially behind you, who we saw those two actually linked up quite well before Felix got sent off at, at Fulham uh, last month, then I think we can make a firmer judgment on him. And I, I completely agree with you. When you've got this number of new players arriving and, and you've got players, some transformative players returning from injury, I mean, Reese James creatively is still, I think, Chelsea's biggest weapon creatively. I mean, that may change in the upcoming weeks, but and hopefully it will, in the sense we'll have more creative threats um, from central and wide areas. But when, when you add all those things together, then we can get a clearer picture of, of the way this Chelsea team looks. And if they still aren't scoring goals, then I'm sure in the summer you, you have a different conversation. But I, I absolutely agree that the lack of goals just has been a concern at Chelsea. And you could argue it's been getting worse for the last five years. Again, there are so many problems within Chelsea that have been an ongoing problem for five years. And I guess it's kind of reached its peak at this season with with the way things have kind of come to a head and, and why the, the new owners have felt that they've had to go out and spend so much on new players. Yeah, yeah. Next question from Patrick Larson. With Joe Felix come back, how does that impact the starting eleven? Who do you think will be in eleven? I mean, Daniel, we'll just go. It's a it's a long way off. West Ham away, about a week, a week's time. Uh, well, I guess we'll just try and quickly pick a team. So obviously, I guess we go Kepring goal. I'm presuming that it's Thiago Silva and Benoit Badi Chile at the back, or given there's a Champions League tie against Borussia Dortmund and that Benoit Badi Chile is not registered, would you look to to maybe bring in someone like Trevor Chalabar or or Koulibaly just to, to maybe get them a bit prepared for for that Champions League tie, or, or would you just stick with Badi Chile and Silva and just keep a good thing going? I'd keep Badia Shili and Silver. It is West Ham away on a twelve thirty, and it's um, you know it's an intense game. Even though West Ham haven't been doing great this season, you know it is a big game for for them. So yeah. physically, I think you'd want. It's not that I, I think Chalaba's bad physically. I think you know he, he for the main has been a very competent and at times really good defender for Chelsea. But I, I'm a, I'm a fan of keeping that consistency if you can uh, to build that chemistry and even if you do have to change it in midweek which you will have to I, I still would play bad issue and silver and, and keep that going fair enough um, right back I'm guessing Reese James is again a similar job to try and give him 60 minutes or a bit more yeah absolutely 
Uh, left back Chilwell or Cucurello? Is it, I guess it is it Cucurello given that Chilwell only sort of came on for the last eight or so minutes yesterday? Yeah, I think it depends. It's hard for for any of us to say yeah. right now whether Chilwell's fitness, unless you ask, you know, Potter or you know what their fitness levels are. But I would preferably start Chilwell in that game. And if he can only do 60 minutes, he can only do 60 minutes or whatever it is. I, I'd, I'd like to see him start at least. Um and see how he goes. Because again, another player you need to get back into minutes soon. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. And I will say that, again, what I've seen online this week about Kukrana being infinitely better than Ben Chilwell has kind of just baffled me how people's view has dropped on Ben Chilwell so much during this time when Kukrana was hardly liberal water. But I, I get uh, sidetracked. Uh, midfield, I think Enzo is the obvious one in there. I guess, the, you know, the other option is, share question is, is, is Kovacic fit? If Kovacic is fit, does he start maybe just purely to try and get a bit of a better balance because we kind of see Gallagher amount in that midfield it did maybe look a little bit little bit unbalanced against Fulham and maybe West Ham might have despite their their league position might have potentially a bit more quality to actually punish us if the midfield yeah, struggles would, a bit either that or uh kind of Chukameka is a player I'd like to see start again uh soon so yeah Enzo and Kovacic kind of fits as kind of a in a 4-2-3-1 naturally fits as kind of 2-6 a pivot whatever you want to call it like two central midfielders uh, and I think maybe you progress the ball a little bit better because Kovacic kind of has that, has always had that quality to progress the ball through the middle of the pitch quite well. So yeah, I, I'd see those two, but I think Karni Chukameka, I was a little bit disappointed. He didn't even come off the bench last night. Was he even on the bench last night? I forget, but he, I, I think based on his performances recently, I, I want to see a bit more of him. Fair enough. Um, going forward, man, if we're going with his fourth friend, who is your sort of, is it Kai Havertz up top? Again, seeing as that's kind of where he's played and, you know, we have seen little glimpses of him in these games. Is he sort of the man you have? To, obviously, you said, you know, it might be nice to see Fafana sort of earlier on. Um, but again, is it, you know, the champ, is there a potential Champions League game? Do you potentially rest Havertz? What do you do there? And then is it a case of Felix just goes straight back in based off what we saw against Fulham? And then it's, I don't know, one of, you've got then got a choice for the oppositions. What do you do at Mount? Does Mudrick, is Mudrick well enough to start? Do you give Madueke a start? Like Ziyech, but what do you what do you kind of do in the best forward areas? I think it would be exciting to see Madueke, Felix, and Mudrick behind Fafana uh, as a front four. But I do get the sense, just in terms of uh, experience, seniority within the squad, Raheem Sterling may take one of those positions, as we saw coming off the bench last night. So it, it's either one. I mean, if you're just going on last night's performance, I think it may be Sterling on the left, Madawake on the right, Felix behind. Uh, I, I'd go Felix behind Fafana. That would be, I think, I, I just, you know, and I think for players like, not so much Gallagher. This is Gallagher's first season at Chelsea as a senior player. So I, I, I don't, it's more Mount and Havertz who I think have played so much football for Chelsea over recent years. And I think that both of them, haven't been hitting top level this season. And I think that that competition can hopefully do good for them, right? And 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 some serious competition, I think, does help a squad. So uh, I, I think for both of them, it is once you get those options back, I think it's time to take them out of the team for a little bit. It doesn't mean that they are out of the team indefinitely. Like, I, you know, as, as you said, with some of those names who aren't like Madawake and uh, Fafana and Bali Ashile, who aren't involved against Dortmund, I think it just makes logical sense to play them against West Ham and, and to feature them in the Premier League if for as long as we're in the Champions League for. Yeah, fair enough, fair enough. Next question from RJ. What is a reasonable amount of time for Potter to be able to get his new group of players plus existing ones to gel and start delivering problems? Because, I mean, Danny, in an odd way, it did almost feel that the season started last night. Obviously, that's mm. not the case. But given that 
the window closed and Potter kind of got, you know, he's now got signings for him to make, you know, he, he wanted. How, so it's a tough one, is it? How long, you know, what's a reasonable amount of time? Is it, I guess, we just want to maybe gradually see some sort of progression? I mean, obviously, progression is not just going to be sort of straight up. There are going to be ups and downs. I think even if we look at, you know, breakdown for time in charge, it, it starts off well, the event sort of middles out a little bit with those two draws against Brentford and Manchester United event, you know, really plateaus a lot. Uh, there's sort of that brief sort of uptick against uh, Bournemouth before it sort of flatlines a bit more again. And then we saw signs of life against Fulham. And then, it, you know, those those two games against Pass and Liverpool where, okay, there's signs of some good stuff. Slowly up to get, and then last night maybe sort of again just goes a bit a bit flatter, not not downwards. But so my point of getting at is it's going to be quite up and down, and there's not really going to be you're not going to. I don't think we're going to see it every week. Where we go. This was better than last week. This was better than last week. I think we might yeah. see it where there's improvement, and then it will get worse again for a time. It might get worse for a game or two, then get better again, then worse. So with that mind, what is a reasonable amount of time for Paul to be able to get this new group players and existing ones to gel? Is it just I guess. <sighs> Just it, it feels quite a really hard question to answer because performances are just going to go up, dip up and down, and we again don't know what it will yeah. be like with injuries going forward. Yeah, I mean, I think that you can make obviously a much fairer assessment at the end of this season because uh, that's a decent length of time, and particularly with the new players. I mean, that still is short. It's as you say, it's only like half a season. It's not, it's not a full season with these players, and it's not even a full preseason with these players, uh, particularly the new ones. I, I do think that you can make a a fairer judgment at the end of the season when you can look at a, a much bigger sample size with, with the new players, but also as with Graham Potter as a head coach, who's had to deal with a lot in a short period of time as, as Chelsea's head coach. And I think for me, the, the way I'm sort of gauging it is if I can get to the end of the season with looking at the team and seeing that more players than not are showing positives. Like they look like they're improving. As you said, there will be setbacks, particularly with younger players as there always is. But as well, you see a sense of consistency. You see a sense of vision about the team. There's there's a belief that, okay, things aren't perfect right now, but that they're, they're giving us some exciting performances. You know, a bit like the vibes we got in the 1920 season under Frank, right? There, there were performances within that season that made us all think there could be something very positive here, right? And I think that's what will give Potter a lot more belief from supporters. And I do think, like I say, unfortunately, like it, we're a big club we should be winning big games but there's you know the Spurs game in a couple of weeks I think is an amazing opportunity for Graham Potter to get a lot of respect and I think a lot of credit from the fans you know if you win away at Spurs which Chelsea have done a lot this in the past couple of years I, I just think that means a lot to supporters you know that winning those big games if he can win a few more big games for the rest of the season unfortunately a lot of them are away from home if he can do that if he can win a big Champions League game uh, against Borussia Dortmund because that's what I think it is if we do knock out Borussia Dortmund it's not like knocking out Real Madrid or Man City but it, they are a decent Champions League team and I don't think many people have faith that Chelsea are going to get through that tie things like that will just give Potter little things to kind of go I'm going in a, a positive direction and you can kind of pro and con it up at the end of the season Um, that's I'm not my kind of judgment for Graham Potter, and sorry to keep on going back to this, my judgment for Graham Potter is not how he performs in press conferences. Like that's not that relevant to me. Like he can keep acting the way he is, and if, but if Chelsea's performances start 
improving and we start gelling as a team and we start scoring goals and we look a more more fluid team and more of the squad looks to be performing better than it has for most of the season where the majority of the squad has been underperforming and there's a sense of unity there again, then I'm going to be happy. Uh, And hopefully those things will, will flow. But, you know, this is, you know, it, it also you balance that out with it can't just be indefinite time with no improvement whatsoever. And I think Potter knows that more than anyone else. Yeah, uh, it's all, I guess, all almost links in a bit with press on the question. When do you guys next see a win in the league? And Dan, you can't talk to him this game, but this month is is a big opportunity for Chelsea. We talked, I remember when you were on last time, John, we said January is an opportunity, also, has some big games, a chance for to make a statement. But this month also does. We've obviously got next two league games are, are West Ham and Southampton, and sandwiched in between that is, is Bruce Dortmund game, and then obviously Spurs to end the month. I mean, to ask Sam's question, I would say. We would win. I would hope that we would win one of the next two, just given the lowly positions of of both those sides. Um, but it does kind of just think about it. this is this is an opportunity that that we have got here to you know it said because it does feel and this is just a separate point, but it does feel Chelsea season could have just been so different if we won a couple of big games earlier in the season. I think yeah. if Chelsea hold on against Tottenham on two one you know two one up under Thomas Tuchel, I think the season has a different outlook there. I really do. I think I don't think we then go and get battered at Leeds three 0 the next week. We're two wins from two at that point. We've, you know, played two pretty tough games and we've come out of them well with with these new players. Also thinking of them, that Manchester United game at home under Porter, I think if we hold on to that win, because that is sort of where we just sort of lose that momentum that we built under him. And from then on, we we struggle. I think that is a key moment as well in the season. But if we hold on, that, you know, there is a bit more confidence and momentum building. So pressure on the question. I think we win one of the next two, but it does also, on a wider question, which I, I'm just throwing in here. I do think it just gives us an opportunity to you know, be a chance to actually, this is a moment we go. Okay, this is a moment where where things maybe changed a bit, or you know, the course of things under poor change. So it's why I would say to people, actually, this is a really exciting month coming up for Chelsea, despite where we are, despite some recent performances. Um, there's definitely reason to be excited. Uh, it maybe this sort of links back to maybe what we said on, on RJ, but Dan, what are your expectations this season from Chelsea from here on on from here on? Because obviously, Champions League we probably admit is gone. Barring, barring a collapse from, from the teams above us and us putting a run of form together that we've not seen. So what are your expectations from the season? Is it essentially just, you know, enjoy watching Chelsea and, and who knows, get past Dortmund and, and just take it from there? Yeah. Yeah, I think that's what you have to look at as. And, and I do agree with you. You look at the fixtures and you look at the form of the teams we're coming up against. Uh, West Ham have obviously had a very difficult season. It has felt like David Moyes has kind of been on the brink a few times. Um, Southampton you know, despite getting some good results in, I think, the cup competitions and, and they may have been one of, new, uh, one of the Premier League games under Nathan Jones, it's still, it, once again, they're fearful of relegation. So I think Chelsea, I'd be disappointed if Chelsea aren't getting six points out of those two games. I've, you know, just got to be honest. Like, I think that, that that's not a ridiculous demand, I think, for, for Chelsea to go away to West Ham and, and to Southampton get back-to-back wins, which... When was the last time we did that in the Premier League? Did we? I think it may have been October under Graham Potter, right? I, the Palace and Wolves games, maybe. If I'm if I'm telling them up right, um, you know. So important leads at home. I just have a thing that we should be beating this lead side. I, I just, yeah, I, I know they beat us earlier in the season, but I, I just think that Jesse Marsh, that they're still a bit like Bielsa. They can still be a very chaotic team, which makes them dangerous at points. But particularly at home, the players should be up for it. it last season it was one of the most intense games at Stamford Bridge and hopefully there is an intensity there Tottenham away is what it is right I mean Tottenham are an unpredictable team 
they 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 have some woeful periods of being games. I think any time they've come up against a decent team this season who knows how to get round them, they really struggle. So if Chelsea put a good performance in, I think there's a good chance we can get a good result from that game. And that I think that massively boosts things. And, and I even go down to like the Leicester and Everton games in like mid-March. You know, I, I think that those two, again, like, I know it's very easy for me to sit here and go win, win, win. We all do that as Chelsea fans. If you're a more positive fan, if you're a negative fan, you put losses on the board. And I know there'll be people this season putting losses on the board because it, it based on Chelsea's form this season, it vindicates you more to be negative ahead of a set of fixtures than positive. And I understand that. But I, I do think that if we get to the Everton game mid-late March and we've had three or four wins, maybe we have beaten Dortmund in the Champions League or you know, just in the Premier League, it looks a little bit healthier. Then maybe you get into a position where, and Graham Potter gets into a position in kind of that April thing where maybe Champions League football isn't completely out the picture, but the opportunity is there to still end the season positively. And you feel like these the, that gives a, a nice block of fixtures for these new players to gel. Hopefully, touch wood, they stay fit. And, and you can start to gel that team together. So I do, compared to when I was on last and we looked at those fixtures and they look quite daunting. And we had two Man City fixtures. We had the Fulham one away from home. We had Liverpool away from home, Palace. I, the fixtures do look kinder, but the, of course, Chelsea have to go out there. And, and I think from a, in a lot of those games, particularly West Ham and Southampton, you're coming up against teams who will look to sit deep against Chelsea with not a lot of confidence. And as we saw against Fulham last night, Fulham are better than, West Ham and Southampton this season, but it's how do we progress the ball a lot quicker, be less static in possession. I think that's going to be a big question for Graham Potter in the upcoming weeks. Yeah, I say West Ham as well. Also a game that we have struggled with in the past, a couple of 3-2 losses there, uh, a one loss there under Conte, a draw there under Surrey. So it's not the easiest place to go, but yeah, it's an opportunity. And as I said, you think back to the last two Chelsea managers prior to Graham Potter, their first, I guess, real big statement win was a win away at Tottenham. Frank Lampard mm. obviously had had that night at Ajax, but that first statement win in the Premier League after some misses against, you know, some of the other rivals was going away to Tottenham and absolutely schooling them. And Thomas Tuchel, had, I think his third game, where maybe there was still sort of a bit of not ill feeling towards him, but just people were just not infused about his arrival. That game was a game that won a lot of fans over straight away. And that's the opportunity that this game has. So it, it's an interesting month ahead and it's one where there's the potential for it to be, to be really good. Um, the next question comes in from Bassman. What is the plan on the pitch? How are we supposed to play? I'm struggling. Right, Dan. Because so, we have, you know, as much as been, so, you know, we try to be fair. I get why there is frustration because ultimately Chelsea at times are still very slow. Fulham looked fairly comfortable against us. I mean, Kenny Tete mm. yesterday, one man of a match. And I know Fulham are better than your average newly promoted side, but there are, and under, and I completely understand they're going to keep going. We're Chelsea, they're Fulham, so I I get why there's there's this theme. What, but you know, what is the plan pitch? How are we supposed to play? I'm struggling. Provide Batman with with some force, some encouragement, and what and what you're seeing, and perhaps some reasons to be positive. In in terms of you know when when I hear this, you know what's the style of play? You know, I, I, is it a relevant answer to it? I'm not. I just I I come back to the the chances we missed last night. You know, if we put those chances away, then I don't think we're having... I know it's a very easy thing to say, but I don't think we're having that conversation. No, now. it's agreed. I said it earlier. If we win, I think the mood's different. I mean, we're sixth in the Premier League table yeah. if we win last night. And in the last few games, we have created better chances in front of goal. 
Like the stats just show you that. Yeah. As I said earlier, um, XG, we've put 7.15 from our last four games and only scored, you know, scored two. Yeah. So I would have more sympathy for what is the plan if we were creating absolutely nothing, which we were before. We weren't creating much before the World Cup break. So I could understand why people felt very depressed about the performances because when you're seeing a lot, I understand why people also come away from last night's game feeling frustrated and feeling like, yeah, absolutely. I was at times it was very static in possession and it and it forced us to the kind of structure of the team was kind of forcing us to go sideways a lot of the time and that very much helpful. I'm not sitting here and telling you it's free flowing and we just got unlucky. We could have been doing a lot more in possession to to break Fulham down. But I also am not at a stage where I look at it and go, what are we trying to do in in possession? Because I think it it is trying to, we're still very much a possession-based team. We still are very much in terms of short passing that hasn't radically changed since Graham Potter took charge from Thomas Tuckle. Um, it is about usually tr- the centre-backs naturally trying to find either wing-backs or full-backs and, and trying to then play it into midfield and get out to those wide areas. Um, at times, the delivery hasn't been good enough on those wide players. At times, the I think the lack of movement from a central player, from a central striker, simply has not been good enough and doesn't help you if if that player isn't running beyond the defence or if that player is misjudging when he's on and offside. Um, you know, there, there, is, there are many variables there, but I, I, I still think that even with that, we created good opportunities, which, I don't know, maybe I'm being too simplistic here but i think if a team is creating a decent level of xg on a consistent basis i i think i i'm more encouraged by that than not that it was always one of the things that annoyed me about tuckle as time went on was just looking at the xg and xg trust xg is not everything it's not the only thing that matters and trust me i'm not sitting here and telling you the xg solves football of course it doesn't and it doesn't tell you everything about a game but when that one of the things that really frustrated me about Tuchel was was when I'd come away from games and, and Chelsea had barely created anything. Like and that's when I think you could look at it and go, Well, what were we trying to do on the pitch? Like how are we how are we ever going to get better if we're not creating if if our margin for error in the final third isn't wider? And our mar- margin for error in the final third last night was not wide because we didn't create enough, but they were small moments within there. And I wrapped that round with with all the context of new players coming in. Like if this was a team that had been playing together, all these players have been playing together, that 11 or 14 players have been playing together for over a year or two years. And then we played that performance last night. Then I'm at, yeah, I think that, that that's a fairer criticism. But I, I I can't fully buy into the idea Chelsea have no idea what they're doing on the pitch. And there's absolutely no plan for for making things happen. It still is betting in players, and it also is a case of of Chelsea players at times being, I think, a bit more ruthless and also being a bit more daring. I, I still think it's got to be ingrained to, into these players to play a bit more direct. Um, I still see too many safe sideways passing, um, and I think that that's what Potter and hopefully some of the new players more so will, will will sort of ingrain into this team to take more risks in possession. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, say when Thiago Silva is bringing his, when he's also responsible for creating one of their chances, we didn't even mention was that. Ball he plays over for, for, for Kai, which you know, let he sticks for and then Leno sticks his foot out to save it again. Yeah, I said, in terms of what we're seeing, but I mean, it's clear like at, at times it was a bit like a bit scary given how Fulham were pressing us, but we were also clearly so clearly trying to play out from the back a lot at times, maybe put ourselves under a bit of pressure, but still managed to play through it. And as I said, like when we when you look at it, and I know you, you know, you it's going to annoy people that probably that we've referenced actually on here, given I know how people view, but it's a useful indicator. And as I said, with Chelsea, uh, 
at, you know, outperforming the opposition in XG and actually doing enough, then there's reason to score. And I said, you know, against Liverpool away, that was a game that we very could easily have won. And again, today we could very, you know, last night very could easily have won if one of those three or four chances get put away. And again, the picture is different and nobody's questioning it, which is why I then linked back to earlier is we've, we've got to try and do on here is find, try and find the middle ground because it's not all sunshine and rainbows if we win all those games by being really prolific on our XG. But it's also nowhere near as bad as, as maybe some people think it is with us not putting away these chances. So, yeah, um, only a couple of questions left. Uh, next question, David, how poor were we with corners? How do we convert all these possessions into shots on target? And how do we get Mudrick in behind these blooming lining? Surely the ball has to be played much earlier. I mean, Daniel, like, we didn't even talk about set plays. That was actually painful last night. Like, watch it. I mean, it wasn't even like Mount's corners. I think it was Gallagher on corners or points. Like, it's just so basic. And then there's a stat that popped up. Obviously, you, you've been around this stat. Fulham, I think, were top, were first in terms of goals from corners or something scored. Then you look at, you see a set like that and you think, why can't we put those balls? It's frustrating. And it's been something that has been an issue for a while. I think the start of last season, or was it maybe the two, under two corners, maybe start of last season, we were actually fairly good at set pieces, but that just seems to have completely disappeared there. Uh, thoughts on that? Mm. And then obviously, how do we get the ball into Madrid Bank? Because obviously, it was frustrating for him last night. Obviously, he had a cold, but just would not get the ball. We did not get the ball. He was pretty isolated, and there's not really much he could do out there. Yeah, I mean, on the set pieces thing, it, it has been, it, it's just consistently baffling how professional footballers who you suspect practice these things on a training pitch consistently, you know, can't beat a first man. But there also is a, a reality that, you know, if you look at stats, your percentage chances of scoring from a short corner are just, better so I, I don't understand why we don't do short corners more often I know fans naturally I think in this country clamor for the ball to be whipped in and I understand why but I, I'm pretty sure the goal the winning goal against Palace our last Premier League goal was a short corner and it was a well orchestrated one between Ziyech and Gallagher um, so I don't know why we don't do that more often if, if, if the quality isn't there to get a ball inside the box I'd rather do a short corner just do it um, because I think it probably suits our players a bit better. If Especially when you've got Ziyech. If you can get Ziyech into an angle onto his left foot to curl the ball in, particularly on the on the right side, I think that makes more sense. It's a little bit predictable, but I'd rather do that than just, you know, not beating the first man and just an opportunity to put the the, the opponent, particularly at Stanford Bridge, under pressure is just completely wasted. Uh, on Madrid, yeah, it's it's a classic thing, isn't it? Uh it, Footballer, Chelsea footballer, particularly attacker, makes run, doesn't get found. I mean, it's kind of just like its own genre at this point. Um, you know, I don't I don't know really what to say. I just again I think that hopefully players like Enzo Fernandez from a deeper position can change things like that. And hopefully a player like Joao Felix can link as well. Yeah, and I feel see also there's a lot of these players playing together for the first or, or second time. So again, it will take time to build partnerships and sort of relationships on the pitch as well. Final question comes in from Dan Burgess. Definitely hard to play a game when the opposition fall over, like Robert Perez doing his Jack Cousteau impression. How long do we persist with Havertz being played as a full-time? And are we hoping that Felix is the saviour of our season? Who can actually score a goal? I mean, again, it just this time just goes full circle. We've discussed this season. Daniel, as I think I said an episode or two ago, it just feels like, for me, given all the new signings we've made, Kai Havertz is almost playing for his Chelsea career the rest of this season. That's what it kind of feels like to me. You know, again, credit to him. I think his movement's fairly good, gets into some good good positions, just doesn't put the ball away. And as I said, you know, on another night, we win that game. Uh, but, um, just thoughts on him playing there and then is we hoping that Felix is 
the saviour of the season because essentially, like, 58 minutes of Jao Felix against Fulham was probably the happiest a lot of us have felt of watching a football player in ages. And we almost, and because of that, we almost all forgive him for getting sent off and actually putting the team in a, in a horrendous mm. position, but we've gone to lose. Yeah, it's, uh, it, I think it's, 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 it's going to be difficult, isn't it, for these players to come in? And, and there is a lot of expectation on, say, Jao Felix to to come in and, and be once again a bit of a savior player like I think Enzo Fernandez was kind of by a lot of us uh you know sort of presented this week um in the case of you know I go back to Kai Havertz what I said earlier about him like I, I just I think that him I think it needs to be a serious conversation about just how long you persist with a player is is kind of I think the, the more relevant question here um and that in itself is a problem. And I think that it's also, is there going to be buyers for Kai Habits in the summer? Um, but I think that this new ownership is going to be more decisive over questions like that. I think if they feel that they can get profit from a player quickly, I think they'll do it. And as I said earlier, when you've got Joao Felix, if Joao Felix really does well for the rest of the season, then you're kind of going to be looking at those two players and thinking a serious conversation, which one do you go with as kind of that playmaker? So it will be interesting. It, it was frustrating, listen, watching Fulham last night there. But I, I, I never begrudge a team doing that at Stamford Bridge or any of the big grounds. I, I never think that think that smaller teams or teams that come to against teams with more quality um, and do that, that, that's within their right and they're a well-coached team and they're able to get the point in the end. Yeah, no, exactly. Exactly right. That is all we've got time for on this episode of Atchers Podcast. I want to thank Daniel for coming on. So, Daniel, before you go, give yourself one last plug where people can find you and all your work. Yeah, thanks for having me on again, mate. Uh, son of Chelsea on YouTube, Son of Chelsea uh, as a podcast as well, and on Twitter at Son of Chelsea, also on TikTok at Son of Chelsea. So, that's kind of the, the easiest way to find my work around Chelsea. All Daniel's links will be in the description below. Make sure you check him out. As for us, we're on all your usual podcast platform Fridays. Apple, Spotify, etc. If you're not subscribed already, just search that Chelsea podcast and we should come up. Please leave a rating and a review. If you've enjoyed, I say Twitter, Instagram, at that Chelsea pod, give us a follow there. Also means, as said, if you are on those platforms, you can get, interact with the podcast whenever I put a tweet out asking for questions and your questions can get read out on the show. Whenever I tweet, put out any likes, retweets, goes on, we just help spread it onto other people's timelines. At the end of the day, we're just fans talking about the one club that we love. And hey, it was a bit of a frustrating result against Fulham, but there's reasons to be excited for what's ahead. Until the next episode, everybody, keep a blue flag flying. Sports Social Podcast Network.